I'm Kay Lee Legrand. Oh, I'm Tanya Bevan. Sometimes we forget. And you know what? It's okay. Because that's what life is. You roll with the punches, and sometimes the punches bring in old friends. I don't know why punches was what the segue entailed, but they called in our friend Christian, who is here from LA, friends. Hey, thanks for punching me. <laughs> nah, no, you weren't supposed to say that out loud. Oh. No one can see when I abuse you. Oh, I see. It's a podcast. You can't I'm see I'm so us. happy to be here. Great. Mm-hmm. That's better. That's, it's closer to better. But Great. be a better actor, okay? See, the I'm only trying. type of punch I like is spiked punch. Hey. And prom. Grade 6 prom. You spiked it in grade 6 prom, didn't you? Shh, don't tell the teachers. So quiet. Don't tell anybody. So Christian is back in town. Yeah. And you were from here originally, sort of. When I, I say am? originally. No, no, no. I'm not even sort of. I literally am from Toronto. I was born here. Where were you born? Toronto General Hospital. Oh, oh shit, God. like literally. Literally. In the heart. On University Avenue, I was born in Toronto General Hospital. When was the first time you ever left the city? Oh, I don't remember. Um, Did you travel as a kid? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, my, my mom was really good about us traveling. So you weren't sheltered as a kid in this tiny no. bubble of Toronto? No, my mom That's was good. like, let's get you out there and see as much of the world as possible and get you acclimatized to everything that's out there. Like, go see the world. Nice. She gave us a passion for traveling. Oh, cool. Yeah. And she she had her own company. She was her own boss. And she made it a point to make sure that we did family vacations together even if they were expensive or difficult she found a way to make it work and uh yeah she i think all of us all the kids have like a real adventurous side we do love to travel i think it makes you appreciate different cultures yes 100 percent. everybody should fucking travel hell yeah if you can't afford to travel i fully understand it watch anthony bourdain just watch a fucking ton of anthony bourdain (laughs) Basically the same thing. Same, same thing, thing, but different. Yeah. Well, it's it's like, fuck, you can't get better than him when it comes to travel and understanding people yeah. and talking to people on all political spectrums. And, I mean, he, he makes his politics very known. Mm-hmm. He made his politics very known. Mm-hmm. I'm still heartbroken about his, his passing. But um, I, he was one of those guys where I didn't realize he was a hero of mine until he, until he left us. Yeah. And I was like, holy shit, I loved this guy. I had all his shows. I watched every iteration of his travel food shows and he just got it he also got that there are people with different fucking opinions out oh shit can i swear on this all the fucking time no you oh. fucking can't it takes me so fucking long to bleep out all the fuck bombs shit fuck piss <laughs> shit piss fuck shit fuck piss i'm um, going back now Everyone that's actually my, my mom's favorite swear shit fuck piss Oh my yeah, god, like, does so she drop something and shit fuck piss what's the who is it not Dan carlin um who, who was the comedian who talked about the seven words you can't say on television? George Carlin? Jo- was it George Carlin? It might have been George Carlin. I think Do so. you remember how they go? I think so. No, I don't. It's like, shit, fuck, piss, motherfucker. No. Shit, piss, fuck, cunt, cocksucker, motherfucker. 
Tits fart turd. That's a song. <laughs> well, yeah, but I think it all kind of originated from George Carlin. Some 41 or something like that. Probably. And then he's like, I fucked your mom. That's the end of it. Anyway. George Carlin? Sure. sure. Yeah. That's a real smart name. That's a good bit. Uh, should I always come back. Um, so, Anyways, travel is great. Back to travel. <laughs> Do you remember your, your favorite or, or even your first traveling experience with your Well, family? I don't remember this one, but I was conceived in the British Virgin Islands. Oh, so shit. Shame on you for not remembering. That's pretty I important. I yeah. wish I remember shooting out of my dad's balls. I should not be sipping my wine at that point. <laughs> <laughs> There's a baby Christian. Um, uh, do I remember an early... You know, probably going to New Brunswick to visit family, because my family, cool. both sides of the family were, uh, if not from, then raised in New Brunswick, and so I really liked going back to New Brunswick. And to this day, I love going back to New Brunswick. Oh, it's a I beautiful coast. It's the most, like, underappreciated province in this country. And the coast is gorgeous, and, like, interior is gorgeous. The people are really, really nice. Uh, it's It's never been home to me, but it feels like home when I go back. Which is nice. Is it where the potted, the, those, um, <laughs> here's some eloquent discourse, but is it mm-hmm. the big chunks of land that are called like pots out in the middle of the water? It's like an escarpment of. Oh, you mean in the, the Bay rocks. of Fundy? It is, I can't remember. I think so. There's, a, a there's something in, in the Bay of Fundy where, oh, first of all, the Bay of Fundy is just like one of the greatest natural phenomena in the, in the world. It's the highest, uh, it's the largest tide in the world. So every day, I think. Twice a day, maybe I could be wrong on this. Don't try and look up my facts because they're probably off. We'll be but, checking and putting yes. those in our notes. But the amount of um, tide is bigger than anywhere else in the world. So the water goes way out and then comes rushing back in either once or twice a day. But it also reveals like these great rock formations mm-hmm. or ones that uh, you can walk out to when the tide is low, oh, wow. but you can't when the tide is high. Yeah. Um, but also just like the amount of marine. Uh, marine life there mm. is incredible because of all the food and nutrients that are constantly brought in and out of the bay. Um, and it's huge. It's not just like a small bay. It kind of runs the whole eastern coast of, of New Brunswick and, and, and uh, the west coast of, no- of Nova Scotia. But it's, uh, it's just this massive phenomena it's, and it's beautiful it's stunningly gorgeous they get whales in there they get everything it's it's incredible it's gorgeous i remember yeah. going as a kid well actually the only part that i really remember because we had a magnet from our travels out there that had those those rocks on it and it i think they were called potted something something because mm-hmm. they looked like a pot the way that they're structured with the tide having yeah. kind of taken away a bunch of the sediment from the bottom um, oh yeah structure from the bottom all right or like mm-hmm. a wine glass or oh, oh just like made it better yeah. you've got to go back you know what i wonder how many witch cults are out there because of the tide moving around so much and the just poles drinking and wine and doing some white magic or black black magic do you dabble in black i don't i don't dabble in magic in general although i respect it i find it interesting i find all uh I don't subscribe to any religion. Uh, maybe I'm individually spiritualistic, but I find all religions and all superstitions and all the unexplainable shit that happens in this world, uh, I find all that really, really fucking fascinating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd say the mo- the majority, like the bulk of my practice is probably more ingrained in Buddhist philosophy, but mm-hmm. I'm so fascinated. But I have a bunch of books on 
um, I guess you would call it mostly witchcraft or, or oracle or tarot or different things that yeah. fit in with the occult. Um, yeah, I find that stuff absolutely fascinating. It is super interesting. And it all ties history. into history. Yeah, mm-hmm. it ties, there we go. We said it at the same that, time. Uh, well, here. that was a spell um, right there. Yeah, but it is. It's all human history, and that's mm-hmm. how we try to codify or understand this world that we live in because there's just so much that's unexplainable. Even with science, even as we get deeper into an understanding of the world, we just there's so much we just haven't figured out yet. Yeah. Well, speaking of codifying and understanding different structures and worlds, what is the difference of the structure like in LA as opposed to the world that you grew up in here in Toronto? <sighs> uh, Are there what's the code? Have you lot. learned the code? I've learned the code. It's the Da Vinci code. It's the exact same code. <laughs> it's, don't lie, it's the Illuminati. It is the Illuminati. <laughs> Illuminati founded LA yeah. uh, 200 years ago. No, I've seen um, many people's earbud wires tangled into triangles over there. Totally. I know the Illuminati is oh, pinned on all of them. 100%. <laughs> um, LA is very, very different than Toronto. I miss Toronto quite a bit. I miss the people. I miss the weather. Uh, I'm except, sorry, except winter. Except winter. Okay. <laughs> uh, although, you know what? I like winter when it first comes around. I like that we get all four seasons. And usually... By the time you're really sick of one season, you're ready for the next one. Winter goes on a little bit too long these days, but maybe that's part of global warming, or maybe that's just the way things go. I don't know. But um, but so the weather is fucking phenomenal in uh, in in LA. I love it. I love it. I love it. But you know, it feels like the a human life has a different worth down there. I don't know if it's a U.S. thing. I don't know if it's a L.A. thing or a California thing, uh, but it just feels like the disparity between the rich and the poor are, is just much greater, and you see a lot of down-and-out people on the street in L.A. There's 55,000 homeless people in L.A. 55,000. As opposed to, what's the general population? Millions and millions and millions, but I, I don't know what it is down there, but uh, it's a huge city. But um, it's very in-your-face with the homelessness. Uh, people live in tents on the streets. Wow. You see more... In my neighborhood, in almost every neighborhood, you're going to find at least a handful of tents, if not a whole block of tents of people living on the on the street. Wow. And you see that everywhere. And do you think that some of that has to do with the fact that, say, they don't get all four seasons? The weather is... Um, I... I don't want to say uh, that, like... It, it does make it easier. No, 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 no. It does make it easier to live on the street all year round. Um, there was some sort of... From the reading I've done on it, there was some sort of a city bylaw that made it legal for you to camp on public land because I think they were encouraging people at one point to go camping in some of the, you know, state parks and things like that, but okay. or city parks or something like that. At some point... Either that or it was an actual, I've read two things, that it was that or that it was uh, city councilors trying to find a way for their homeless population to be sheltered because the shelters were full. Um, But it is legal to pop a tent on public land and stay in it. Um, And then someone along the line was like, well, sidewalks are considered public land, they're owned by the city, so we can just (laughs) pop a tent right on the sidewalk. And they did. And so you've got a whole huge neighborhood in downtown L.A. called Skid Row, which is just thousands of people living in tents. It's a huge tent city. I I call it a nylon favela because that's what it is. It is a favela or it's a shanty town. It's just made out of tents. And so um, it's dangerous. Uh, It's very bad for um, 
you know, disease and uh, sicknesses to get through. I think last year there was a huge outbreak of the mumps in North America, which has not been a problem in a very long time. And, <laughs> and the rumor was that it started in Skid Row and then kind of spread from there. So it's, it's not a healthy place to be, but at the same time, if you're homeless, you, A, don't want to be on your own. You want to be kind of part of a community in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, people have started, like the city has now started to build um, toilets around there and public showers for people to use to try and keep things as clean as possible. People, they wash the, the sidewalks in LA once a week, so everybody has to pack up their shit and move when they clean and then as soon as they're done cleaning they put everything down but if you didn't do that you would have a ton of um, uh, pest control issues mm-hmm. and uh, and also just human waste issues um, and it's I have a lot of sympathy for the people living in tents there it's part of the, the weather I think draws people from uh, even homeless people from across the country to hitchhike or find a way to get to LA or to California because San Francisco has a bad problem San Diego does um and I think it's the temperate weather means you can live in a tent all year round and and that's the way it goes. But also, um, rents have gone up. Like, the last six years, the homelessness has gone up 75%. Holy sh... Yeah, to 55,000 people. I mean, wow. 75% of that is in the last six years. So something is really fucking wrong. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and so uh, it's really in your face. There's a lot of mental health issues going on there. It's a lot of people who've come to LA, you know, with their dreams of making it in music or art or film or writing uh, or whatever their dream is, and then they kind of fall to the wayside and, and um, end up homeless or, you know, get into drugs or people with addiction problems, mental health problems. Um, but also rents have gone up recently and the average income has gone down. So that's kind of a disastrous combo. And I've seen people get out of their tents in the morning, or I've seen a few times I've seen this. Um, someone get out of their tent in like a Best Buy uniform or on their way to work. And these are people who still have jobs and lost their, just couldn't afford their apartment because the rent was increased or they just weren't making as much money or whatever the, the whatever the, maybe they got into debt. I don't know. I've, I've spent a lot of time thinking, trying to put myself into their, into their heads, into their situations, try to come up with how I would end up living in a tent on the street. It's something that I'm working on in a, in a writing project right now. So that's why it's really at the front of my head. But um, you know, if I had an apartment that I couldn't afford all of a sudden and then was evicted and let's say my rent was 1200 bucks, which would be amazing in LA, but just as an example, and I only had like 800 bucks that month, well, I would, you know, go out and buy a $200 tent, a good tent and sell as much shit as I could to keep the important stuff with me and just try to wait it out for a couple of months while I still had my job and made enough money to find an apartment or a roommate or something like that. And then, you know, you don't sleep very well. For anybody who goes camping, I always find the first night camping, you don't sleep at all because you're not used to the sounds of where you are. You're not used mm-hmm. to the bed. Uh-huh. And you're just kind of wake and toss and turning all night. Your rhythms are off. Your rhythms are totally off. Uh-huh. Well, imagine on the street where you have a lot of people walking by and constantly you hear their footsteps by your tent and cars constantly, other people maybe sniffing around your bags or your... your uh, tent to see what you've got like you're not going to sleep you're not going to sleep for days or for weeks and you're going to start letting yourself go you're going to go through PTSD of some sort from a lack of sleep or, or just whatever it you might cause you um, and you're going to have a tough time maybe being on time or 
showing up at work or being reliable or being all there because your brain isn't fire. I mean, if you've ever met a new parent, they're like, mm-hmm. they're in another headspace because they haven't slept in a long time. And mm-hmm. so it really affects your productivity and things like that and your communication skills and things like that. So yeah, I it's kind of think, a combination of everything that's yeah. going on and it's a slippery slope. It's totally. unfortunately you just, it starts to spiral. One thing yeah. affects another and the, it just becomes harder and harder and harder. Totally. And, uh, I just think a lot of people do the 10 thing in LA, just, you know, trying to get themselves, you know, out of debt or back to where they need to go. Um, and then slowly without realizing it slip into something completely different and mental health issues. And then you use alcohol to cope or try to sleep or drugs to try and sleep. And all of a sudden you get into an addiction. And this is, none of this is fact checked in any way. This is just me trying to like process through my head and through what I think might happen to people who end up like that. I, I cannot. I was going to ask, that, have but, you, so you haven't spoken to anybody. Have you spent any time? No, because I'm scared to, because I'm scared to talk to some of these people, which is so shitty of me. Um, well, I don't, I don't necessarily I think it's shitty. shitty. I think well, that we've been conditioned, um, on, on both sides of the spectrum, like you're talking about with this downward spiral of, you know, having the hard pressed luck and having mm-hmm. the, the lack of sleep and having your rhythms off and losing your job and losing, all these different things that are affecting you that spin you into a very particular mental pathway. Um, and, and that obviously have an effect on what your reaction, what your behaviors are in the world mm-hmm. that then in turn correlate with how people view you. Right. Um, it's, it's kind of this, yin and yang force between what their life is like on the street and how they interact with society and then somebody who like like we have roofs over our head and we haven't I'm assuming that none of us have actually lived on the street at any point in our lives no. yet I mean maybe we'll do it for a project maybe yeah. you no, never no. know where you please don't disrupt the microphone Uh, oh wow it really yeah look at those look at those specs no that's me laughing laughing. uh yeah i speak it a lot um but then people who have never lived on the streets who have maybe they're doing research maybe they have their preconceived notions maybe they're working on projects where they're actually aware and trying to figure out what is happening in somebody else's life like that but maybe there is a big part of the population that has never considered what it took for somebody to end up Mm -hmm. in that situation Mm -hmm. and have their own bias confirmation process that ends up putting them on so far the other end of the spectrum that it's not, I don't think it's shitty to feel afraid. I also get where you're coming from Mm -hmm. because I, I never used to feel afraid walking around downtown by myself as a five foot for girl who, you know, I, I felt pretty tough when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. And even in the first five, six years that I was living in Toronto, um, I felt tough. You know, my dad, my, my father is ex-military. I, I was the quote-unquote tomboy of the family. And I went through a whole bunch of different martial art trainings and every sport except for hockey because I'm a bad Canadian when I was growing up. But I, I then was within, I think, of about a month or two, um jumped twice in the city and immediately had my my pompous air about me shattered and I was so afraid anytime um somebody on the street would try to ask me for money or or approach me in any kind of a even just slightly aggressive way this fear was reawoken in me and I I mean even after the first I think it was after the first time that I was jumped I um (laughs) 
I had a friend who like had to babysit me for about a month. I couldn't walk by myself at night. I was having difficulty sleeping. Yeah. So. And that happened here in Toronto. Here in Toronto, yeah. And um, so sorry. I mean, being on the other side of it, it's kind of an interesting, like, I can kind of laugh about what, how pompous I felt and how, how secure I felt yeah. walking around like, oh, I can handle myself. And then how scared I was thinking, oh, this, this is the end of, like, this is, this is how I die. Yeah. Um, but I don't think that it, it's something to feel ashamed about when you have any kind of fear. Well, over. like for me, I'm a pretty big guy. I'm, I'm pretty broad. I'm six one. Uh, if, I mean, I don't maybe scare people on first impression. I have, you know, big goofy glasses and whatnot, but I'm a pretty big guy that in generally, in general, when I travel, I don't get messed with, but, uh, in LA, you know, there's a couple fundamental truths about the differences between Canadians and Americans. And, um, uh, it's certainly my experience in my neighborhood with, with some of the tent city area that we have where I am. Um, like I've had to, I, I remember walking past, uh, uh, the stretch of street, like a block away from where I live that has like a whole bunch of tents on it. Uh, and usually the, the, the folks who, who live there are actually kind of nice to say hello or like, Hey, how are you doing today? You know, like they're, they're totally nice, but you do feel a bit uncomfortable as you pass by them. But you know, it's, it's become a part of your everyday life down there to have neighbors who live in tents. Um, which is weird to me, but they're generally really nice people. Um, and I've never had a problem with them, but I remember one night walking home, uh, I had to pass by all these tents and there's a guy out there fixing a bike, bicycle upside down, just tinkering away on it. And his bike, the only way past him was between him and his tent and while he's fixing the bike. And as I got closer to him, I noticed he had a massive knife that was like, for listeners, like... It, the blade was like eight inches long. Wow. It was like a big bowie knife, like a hunting knife, mm -hmm. lying on the ground on the sidewalk between his tent and him and his bike that he was fixing. And I was like, Jesus Christ, okay, what do I do here? Because I don't know if this guy has any sort of mental health issues. I don't know if he's drunk or high on something or if he's completely sober and completely calm or if he's miffed about something. I don't know why he has the knife lying out like that. Um, but I have to walk and step over his knife to keep going. And it also just kind of feels like a bat, like it's almost like walking under a ladder. Just yeah, exactly. you don't step over <laughs> and it's and just, like, that's a grim brother tale yeah. of some sort. Totally. And it's like, I don't know if he's going to, you know, even if he hears me or sees me, if he's just going to grab his knife and just stab up or stab me Ooh. in the leg or something like that. These are all the thoughts that are going through my head immediately as I'm walking there. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to make a bit of noise so that he knows I'm behind him. Because he had his back to me as well. Yeah. So I didn't want to startle him. Yeah. So I just made some noise and, you know, I, I didn't really... I just... It happened so fast that I just ended up just stepping over his knife and just kept going. Didn't look back. And I was like, I'm not generally... Well, maybe I am a, a nervous fearful person, but for the most part, I'm pretty well-traveled. I've traveled in some developing countries, been through some sticky situations on the road by myself, and, like, that's weird that a block, and I live in a good part of town, like, not a great, I'm not living in Beverly Hills or something like that, but I live in a nice part of town that I really like, and uh, it's got lots of people, and it's walkable, it's one reason why I chose it, but, like, 
that's kind of new for my, my neighborhood. That's kind of in the last year that this has started really happening. And uh, nowhere ultimately in Los Angeles is safe in terms of your home or your, like, you know, there's break-ins all the time. It can happen the anywhere. Crime. Anywhere, anywhere. Where I got jumped here in Toronto was, um, they were the, the most brightly lit and and places I never would have assumed. Like, it was right yeah. outside City Hall one night, which I used to live right behind. I used right. to live in the condos right behind City Hall, and so I felt almost, yeah. I felt like it was almost home. That was the second time that happened, and, like, my defenses started coming down. Yeah. And I'm, like, City Hall, but then there yeah. were people who were setting up to camp for the night, and I just ended up being, that was just a lucky night. My, my spidey senses kicked in, and I was coming home from some show. I had, it was summer, I had heels on, so right. I guess twice, the two times it happened, I was wearing stilettos as I was coming home from don't summer. Don't wear heels. Don't wear heels, don't guys. Wear heels. Don't, don't dress up. Don't bother no. trying to no. do anything uh, for yourself. I, and, and as soon as I got around the corner and turned out of sight... I just started booking it. I just started running toward up up the stairs behind City Hall towards my condo. And as I was running, I looked I looked back as soon as I was on even ground. And thank God I had started running because sure sure enough, one of the people who was setting up to camp for the night booked it out around the corner. And if I hadn't started running, he would have caught me immediately. Wow. Um, so it was it was really weird just trusting That's that sense. Crazy. Yeah. Um, and so I guess it was really just like one and a half times. I didn't actually get, like, he didn't catch me that right. time. But it was just a weird yeah. experience. That is weird. That's, it's funny. Like, our, we do have an intuition. We do have a gut that talks to us. And we are trained not to always listen to it. Or somewhere down the line, we just stop listening to it. But I have found that anytime I listen to my gut on something, when I really listen to it uh, and understand what it's, kind of telling me it never really steers you wrong it knows yeah. like we all know morality we all know safety we all know common sense we all have that within us it's whether or not we listen to it i feel mm-hmm. and 100 yeah. and half the time when you don't listen to it you're like fuck i should have listened, listened to it, to it. totally if you it, don't the majority of the time oh well, not yet 70 percent completely yeah. for me and and whenever i listen to my god i'm like i fucking knew it and it could be on something simple. It could be something dire, like what you went through. Yeah. But uh, we no, are that was pretty simple. Beings. I'm a good runner in heels now. I've well, had some great. experience. Yeah. yeah, I can run. I can fucking marathon in heels. I'm not good at running in heels. <laughs> Do a third character. If you train well enough, sure. in it, you can yeah embody sure. that character. Yeah. But I but think my neighborhood. It's fear. It's funny because I moved to LA, and I went through all this anxiety before I moved because I'm in my late 30s. So to like pack up my life and start somewhere new. Again, it's a scary prospect, which I did it. When did you move again? Like a year and a half ago. Okay. Like a year last February. Okay. So uh, I was going through a lot of shit because I, I, I had a TV series that was ending mm-hmm. and another one that was ending unbeknownst to me. And, uh, and it was just like my life was going through a lot of flux. And I was, I was scared shitless of that in general, but I was also just scared shitless of this new life direction that I was taking. I mean... Mm-hmm. What made you decide to move to LA? More job opportunity down there. There's just more casting down there. The bigger, better roles get cast down there. I'm not saying I'm going out for that stuff as much now that I'm there, um, but uh, it makes me more castable in Canada. And you know, you never know when a good opportunity is going to come along that really launches you somewhere in the in the U.S. It's merely an opportunity thing, and I kind of felt like coming off of a, a show, I'd seen a lot of friends come off shows here in Canada and 
as soon as their show ended, they didn't work for like two or three years because yeah, I, I find that the staying business in here staying in, with the ones that stayed in Canada because okay. uh, and a lot of them did because they got families and kids and and I'm a single dude who doesn't own property, so it's it was easier for me to just pack up and move. Yeah, nothing tethering you. To nothing it. tethering me except you know like friends and family here, but um, so airplane right away. Exactly, exactly, hmm. and so. Uh, I, I saw so many friends not work for two years, and I thought, oh my god, I'll I'll, I'll go crazy if I don't, because I'm a bit of a workaholic, and I chose the wrong business for that. But, <laughs> but I, I, when I'm in Toronto, I, I'm busy because I know a lot of filmmakers, and we collaborate. And we even if I'm working on a short film with friends, I'm happy. Like I'm just doing. I just I mentioned love. your name to somebody. Who's oh, the cat. yeah, yeah. There you yeah. Go. So, and you're gonna be around. I thought that you were leaving. Like, within the next couple of days, which is why we're like, no, sorry, he's ours, and we want him to sit down and have yeah. a conversation with, but uh, I should, I should, we'll talk about the business stuff afterwards, mm-hmm. but, mm-hmm. yeah, I just mentioned your name to somebody. Well, that's very, thank if you. you are, really if you are staying it. around over the next couple Well, it depends weeks. on, well, because I'm here for work, so it depends on what the schedule's like with work, yeah. but. No, drop it all and do this thing. All right. Okay. Sounds good. <laughs> yeah. So um, you went for this general perception of better opportunities. Now, yes. It wasn't something particular that pulled you down to L.A. No, it wasn't a project. It was just timing of coming off of a series that had some recognition in the U.S., in the industry down there. And I was like, now's the time. I've always wanted to give L.A. a shot. And I was always going to wait until I had the right timing. And this is the timing. And this is now. So let's go. That's get awesome. your shit in here. And it took me a couple of years to get everything in order in terms of visas and, and all the Even with, mm-hmm. like your well-known show and everything it still took that amount of time oh god it's it takes a long time to get anything done through governments and that that's not just the u.s yeah, that's no. that's friends of mine who've tried to immigrate here to canada any government um it, it's tough it's it's difficult and it should be it shouldn't be easy to just pack up and live wherever you want there's there's reasons why we all i don't know need to find a way to get to where we're going i guess like we can't what I love about Canada is that we take in a lot of refugees, and we do have good immigration. It's not easy to immigrate here, but it's possible. But if you are a refugee and if you're someone in need, we're we're gonna take you in for the most part. Um, every government, I guess, has its limits, but I, I'm really proud of Canada for that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but here's the thing with Canada: we have a lot of room. This is a big fucking country, yes. and we are stronger the more people we have. And the more ideas from different cultures that we have. And it has been proven that immigrants are good for our economy. They're hardworking. They do jobs that we don't necessarily want to do uh, as they're getting established before they move into the careers that they were doing back home. Um, they're good. They, they do good things for us. So a lot of like those conservatives say, you know, they're bringing in the wrong ideals and, uh, you know, typical bullshit that they spout. I think they're wrong, and the science proves them wrong, economically and socially. Uh, yes, there are cases where it goes bad. That happens everywhere. But for the most part, I'm a strong, firm believer that immigration makes us a better country. My father was an immigrant. He didn't speak English when he first came here. Um, so one half of me is first generation, and the other half of me is, like, many generations Canadian. Came here in the War of 1812. So it's like... Hmm. You know, I can see both sides of the coin, but I honestly think we're better with immigrants. But it's not an easy process, and it's stressful, and you have to learn how to do banking in a new country because oh it's different in the U.S. And yeah. you know, you have to learn how to do everything different again and establish it. I have to take my fucking driving test again, like oh the actual driving. Are we talking test. about that? Yeah, about Europe. If you had to like 
Really you get an international stuff. driver's license. Like I, I lived in Berlin for a year. I have uh-huh. European citizenship through Finland, where my father was born. And uh, I, uh, I remember when I moved there, I just went and bought an international driver's license in case I did any driving over there, which I didn't. But for the U.S., if you're going to be a resident or like live there uh, and you need a California license, if you want to lease a car, um, you got to do the tests. And I understand. I'm coming from a different country. We're not the same country. And they don't keep tabs on what our regulations are. They barely do between states. Um, and I think with some states, you actually have to take the driving test again. Whereas I think some states like New York and California, they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We have so many New Yorkers coming to California. Just you get to transfer it. So I understood why all those processes are in place. Um, it shouldn't be an easy thing just to pack up and move to another country. Mm-hmm. It's part of the challenge is to see if you really have it in you to do what you need to do. And people don't realize how fucking brave immigrants are. I'm not calling myself brave. I'm calling people who immigrate to a country like this or to the U.S. from like somewhere that's completely different language, different culture, different lifestyle. Different economic structure. Different economic structure. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is real bravery right there. It is not easy. It's a scary thing to provide for a family in a country where you don't speak the language that well. And, you know, people just, I find with the homelessness issue, with immigrants, they don't put themselves in their shoes. And if people did that a little bit more, and you get that from travel sometimes, or just some perspective from travel, mm-hmm. you might have a better understanding and a little bit more patience and a little bit more, um, you know, understanding for other people. Um, and that's not quite the mentality down there. Like, it's the U.S. is a place of great immigration in many ways, although currently it's not doing so well on that front or doesn't want to on the government side. But, um, you know, it has a history of, it's North America, besides our indigenous people who were here first, is a land of immigration. It's a it place really that people is. go to. And people are escaping whatever they are escaping in their, in their home country, whether it's war, famine, unemployment, um, violence. Uh, there's so many different reasons. Mm-hmm. And whether they're a refugee or just someone looking for a better life, this continent in general is a place where people come where they really have a chance to start again, whether that means leaving the old wars back in the old land, which some people do that better than others in general, but for the most part, I find Canada to be, to be a place where people are like, okay, we're here, let's, let's be a part of this. I've had a lot of really fun conversations with new immigrants from all over the world who immediately just, boom, jumped into hockey and know more about, <laughs> know more about Are better than I, than I am. Yeah. I remember talking to uh, uh, someone from India who had recently moved here, and he knew more about the Maple Leafs than I did. And I've had conversations like that with immigrants who are, like, really into baseball, and they just want to be a part of of what we've got going on over here. And I'm like, that's so fucking cool. Join us. Beautiful. Yeah. I've they always found caps. that really interesting as well. Like, the, the way that cities or countries or just communities can rally around sports teams the affinity that you can have for a sports team that you've even if it's a sport that you've never played like sure you might know all the rules and you've seen all the games but it it's always been very strange to me especially with the sports that I played growing up I didn't have the same affinity I watched football I, I watched football with my dad and it's more of a nostalgic thing and even my teams come from um via association I was a cheesehead growing up and I was a Brett Favre mm-hmm. follower because my dad was like it was it was part I guess there is the community for me and yeah. that was my buy-in but 
Um, Everybody has a buy-in somewhere. Everybody right? has a buy-in somewhere. Whether it's your somewhere. parents or your friends or whatever. But the sports that I played, like I was a hardcore soccer player growing up, and and we were forced by certain coaches that I had as I was going up through the system, forced us to watch footage from World Cup yeah. series and, and whatnot. Um, and, and I hated it. I hated watching. I don't like watching soccer games. I love playing it, but usually when I'm watching, even with football, when I'm watching it, I get so frustrated not being able to be the one on the field to move the ball. And I'm sitting, I'm like, I can't, like my, my attention, like if I don't actually get to physically have that outlet while experiencing the mental part of the game, like Mm -hmm. then the strategy, I love that part too, but only if I'm actually part of it, or I guess more so when I'm actually physically part of the game. Yeah. So I've always found it really interesting whenever I meet people who have um, such an affinity for a particular team and to the point where, or even in celebrity culture, when people fangirl over or fanboy over something or someone or some team that they've never met, it boggles my mind. I've never fully understood it. There are certainly, like, for instance, with Anthony Bourdain Mm -hmm. and, and, having that moment of um, like recognizing a loss that maybe you didn't have uh, an awareness of that appreciation until it was taken away, until you knew no more was coming. Yeah. I understand that mental process. Yeah. But I've still never understood the the screaming fans. Yeah. I don't know. I know. I, it's, it's... So when somebody comes from another country and becomes even more of a fan of... Um, it, it almost makes me feel bad. I'm like, ugh, I... I would not be able to tell you one of the players' names on yeah. the Leafs right yeah. now. I I just couldn't. Matthews. I just, yeah. <laughs> Philippe will kill me if I hope <laughs> he doesn't actually listen to that part. Um, yeah, it's it's funny to like Canada is. I, I feel super fortunate having been born and raised here, mm-hmm. and I was just having a me similar too. conversation with uh, my yoga instructor. Um, Tanya and I are doing yoga teacher training. And oh, cool. Yeah, it's a super cool experience. <laughs> Tanya, yoga... you look really thrilled about it. <laughs> that was my yoga face. That she's, she's are you supposed to roll your face. eyes in yoga? <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> yeah, sometimes we have to put a bag over her face. <laughs> oh, wow. Um Paper bag, not plastic. <clears throat> we don't want to die now. No, <clears throat> no we yeah. still need to breathe. Um, anyway so my yoga instructor I I was having a a very deep conversation with her today and we were talking about how we are the top eight percent of the world we we are so fortunate not even just individually or, or part of that community the yogi community um and the kind of people that we have around us to hold us up when I mean this is this is at a point where I was just I was a mess in front of her today. She's also my boss because I also work with the right. sanctuary. And she, this is the first time that she's seen this other side. She's like, I was going to say, you look, you know, a lot more rested this week. And I'm like, ooh, <laughs> I just broke down oh, wow. into this mess in front of her. Just like, okay, let's have maybe 10 minutes of a, like a therapeutic session maybe. I'm like, yes, please. <laughs> uh-huh. So we sat down and meditated and also had a conversation about how Canada is, um, like not just our community, but also Canada having been born here and having roofs over our heads and having people to have our backs in times where we need to fall apart and be a snotty mess. We have that. We have so much at our fingertips that, yeah, we don't, 
sometimes we allow that awareness to slip just beyond us. And sometimes it does take a complete shift into another culture to recognize the things that were in place that weren't um, apparent to us beforehand. Yeah. And you know what? That's fully happened since I moved to LA. I realize how much I miss Toronto. And what do you miss most aside from family and friends? Jamaican food, good good international cuisine. People are like, oh, he's got the best fucking food in the world. I'm like, I don't know, man. Spend some time in Toronto. Go to Scarborough and check out some of the like amazing international foods that you can find in Scarborough. Go. This city is a real. We've got a lot. We've got a lot of good food here, Mm -hmm. and people don't realize it. I mean, it's got a good foodie scene. I mean, I, I think Montreal would would beat us in that sense, but at the same time. I think we rival Montreal now. I think we've gotten enough amazing chefs in this city that are coming up with really cool stuff that you've got like a great foodie scene. But the international cuisine in this city is like unparalleled anywhere in the world, practically. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah. I really, I agree I really honestly believe that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that there are a lot of, um, I like the fact that Toronto has so many different pockets to the city, which yeah. also come with their own different styles of cuisine yeah. and, and having, uh, such a, di- so, you have diversity in so many different respects, including cuisine. But I also, being such a bubble child now, I have so many different food allergies that have changed the way that. I can right. experience it in this city, yeah. um, particularly in Canada. When I go visit my sister in Europe, there are foods that I can eat over there that I can't eat here because of the processing that we do yeah, in North the America. processing is fucking garbage. It's yeah. crazy. And there's still a lot of that here in Canada. Yeah. It's um, even worse in the U.S. Yes. It's really on another level in the U.S., I find. Um, I don't... I'm, I mean, I'm not... Sh- I don't mean to be shitting on the U.S. I, uh... There's a lot about it that I really love. I love California. I like LA. I don't love it, but I like it. It's growing on me. But everybody I've heard down that a lot. there, I've yeah. heard that a lot of, uh, from friends. Actually, when I first started getting back into the industry, before before I got back into the industry, one of my friends who was a, a catalytic movement for me um, changed a lot of my preconceived notions about the industry. She purposefully, she specifically will not move down to LA, and she was somebody who had already, you know. She can pick and choose. She travels around the world to work now, so mm-hmm. she doesn't have to physically be tethered well, that's to the goal. a city. That's the goal. Yeah, a lot of people don't want to stay in L.A. They're like, yeah, I mean, a lot of people love L.A., but if you have a lot of money, L.A.'s great. L.A.'s great if you have a lot of money. Same with New York. New York's great if you have a lot of money. Toronto's starting to get like that. Toronto is starting to unfortunately get like that, and it's a real concern. Um, but the goal is to spend time in L.A. and then jet back to Toronto and then be able like get to a certain point in my career where I can live in Canada but then they'll just call me and I'll go where they need me because it's it's everything's online these days mm-hmm. casting a lot of it is online these days I've 90% booked, of my auditions have been self-taped lately. yeah me too same 90, 90% and a lot of that has been in LA taping in my kitchen to send back to Toronto but I've booked off those like you can book off self-tapes mm-hmm. and like as people get to know you and you have a demo reel and a resume like people will book you off that stuff and and it grows but yeah i'd say 80 percent of my bookings this past year have been off of yeah i I've, i spent so so much, like less time in the room yeah which is which sucks because i would prefer oh, I to be it. in the room i would prefer to be in the room. i like, yeah. I like how room. relaxed i am when i'm doing a self-tape i'm not like a fucking jumble of nerves because i'm terrible for that like, yeah but then when you have that once like, oh, when you go into a... the room I'm nervous in the room. I'm nervous first day of filming. 
I'm nervous when my coverage is on me. I'm always nervous. Like, really? always. Yeah. You need to meditate, I'm a, I know I do, and I do not do it enough. <laughs> I don't do it enough, but I do do it. But, like, once every few weeks is not enough. You're supposed to do it every day. Um, Ooh, use an app. I've got Plus, Headspace. That's what I use. Yeah. You know what? That and is I actually, don't use it. I use it, but I don't use it. But it has that built-in intrinsic factor where it actually counts the number of days that you do consecutively. And then if you're a competitive you person, then you'll like it. See, I'm a competitive person. So yeah. I'm up to like, I think I'm up to 161 days. And oh, wow. I can't get past like five days. Oh my God. Yeah. I thought I missed a day the other, like literally I was about to go to bed and I think it was already like 1201 or whatever. And I jumped up in bed. I didn't even check how many, if the count had already gotten back to zero. I just popped out of the face and I'm like, I really can't mess up this yeah. count. I'm so competitive. I love how you're you more know, like caring about the count. Oh yeah. 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 The <laughs> then you're actually happy. <laughs> but I, I was like that with, there might be hope for me. I was like that with quitting smoking. It was like, well, how long how can I go? I smoked for 16 years on Holy and off. Shit. Started oh, when I was 14 that. and I quit when I was 30. Uh, 30 or 31, somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. And I purposely have not kept track of how long it's been because I don't want it to be an important thing Fair. with anniversaries and dates and even and more importance. so much onus, so much focus on smoking still. Yeah, exactly. I, yeah. I, all I know is I quit a long time ago and I haven't had a cigarette since and I feel great about it. That's good. Um, That's called a switch in, in our yogi language. Um, are we been trained to, for instance... Um, like when you tell somebody no worries, the brain is actually doesn't recognize the negative aspect of no. I say no. that all the time. I say no worries. No worries. All you're doing is putting the energy of worries out there because the brain doesn't recognize the no. It's like don't think of a pink elephant. Don't think of a pink elephant. Yeah. Don't think of a pink elephant. What are you thinking of? Oh my god, look at it right there. Oh my god, it's pink elephant. Yeah, I was thinking about a purple elephant. Oh shit, it worked. She's just a rebel. Um, you are a rebel. And colorblind, but. <laughs> But I've actually sorry, purposely, or, or saying sorry, not saying sorry to <laughs> sorry. sorry, sorry, that's another word that I just don't want to say in general, oh, I don't say sorry it screws me over hmm? in American auditions, but, uh, but saying things like thank you for waiting for me instead of saying sorry I'm late, um, mm. I, I've actually been trying to not say sorry anymore unless I actually have a reason, if I feel, actually feel sorry. Sorry. Well, Ugh. see, I had a dance teacher who used to tell me, like, when we would say sorry, like, if we fell at a point or something, she'd be like, does sorry change anything? Mm-hmm. No. Well, then do it again. And then ever since then, I, I don't say sorry for things that are... Don't cry over spilled milk. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, what's the point in saying sorry? You can't. We do say sorry too much. Way in too much. Mm-hmm. Way. Too I had an entire B-roll made of the first film that I shot down in New York. I didn't hear the difference in the way that I was saying sorry, and mm. I spent mo- like I spent more energy just thinking about how to say that word than I did on even focusing on lines or scenes or anything. I was not nervous on set about that. I was nervous mm-hmm. about... They were laughing and they made a whole B-roll documentary on my, me saying sorry, just following me around. And by the end of it, it was, it was hilarious once they <laughs> cut together and sent it to me. But I didn't recognize the difference and I still have that, that difficulty of, of picking up on the finesse of dialects mm-hmm. and that's... That's where I'm putting my attention right now to play with in, mm-hmm. in my acting scope, but 
But even just so we should just do British language. accents for the rest of this. Oh. I've got British RP down pretty bad. I just need to get that Irish accent. All right, let's do British RP for the rest of the podcast. Oh, Easy, Murdoch. <laughs> I did not do that on Murdoch. Oh, no, you didn't have no, an English accent on Murdoch. Oh, no, God. I was I was a proper no. Canadian boy. Don't Canadian really man. do it. I'm drinking a little turn French and Irish at the same time. Usually oh, my, my Irish accent hot. starts yeah, turning yeah. into an Indian accent. It's really weird. Yours? Yeah. Yeah. You're Jamaican? Yeah. No, my Irish. Oh, my Irish turns Jamaican. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes. Or like my Jamaican turns Irish. It's like... All I can say is beer can. Beer can. Beer can. Is it bacon or beer can? Guys, though? we went off the rails on we this really one. We really lost This is a dialect podcast <laughs> really or a mental health podcast. This it's is a little bit of both. Yeah, this is a lesson. It's, um, no, you know what? We're, we're not even going to air this portion. We're going to air the part that we recorded before we ah, Amazing. Oh, our hands are in for a treat. Um, so where do we go from here? What uh, do you want to talk about? Well, I Should like, we get back to I like not worrying about it. The whole point of this worried. podcast is, first of all, making sure that you aren't nervous, seeing how you are nervous. In no, but let's talk about that. Let's talk about nervousness. nervousness. Let's talk about nervousness. Yes, let's. Um, let's jump back over to the conversation I was having with my yoga instructor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because this relates back to a couple of different points we've already made, but the idea of um, like what I actually brought up with her, what started the conversation in the Sawfest, was the fact that I injured myself about a week ago, and it's because of a recurring, uh, a bunch of recurring injuries. When I was younger, um, I depressed my shoulder blades out of their sockets. I won't do it because it freaks Tanya out. You but can still do it? I, yeah. They, they, you want to watch disgusting. me vomit all over myself? It, no, <laughs> we were in a class the other day and she was showing one of our teachers and I literally vomited while saying, so disgusting. Oh, <laughs> all right. <God>. Listeners, <laughs> you are in for a treat because this is going to be the first time we have a dual vomit fest. I'm about to show my blades, oh, my... <laughs> My okay, No, what? It made me think of a gargoyle. You are now a fucking gargoyle. Holy oh, shit. You are I, I am part gargoyle, part gremlin. I usually in improv shows no, Fuck gremlins who are a gargoyle. Okay, let's do this. Let's see this. So, what, first of all, it's gonna be done. This, We've already talked about it. <laughs> I'm not even looking at so eating. I depre- she can't look at it. I depressed my shoulders out of the sockets because I, I've got big quads and I can handle weight. Yeah, but yeah, I got good quads. Yeah, I've got those quads, yeah. baby. I was a soccer player. Oh, you can hear the wood. Sorry, everybody. Listen to the wood. Okay. The wood is the floor. <laughs> Not Christian Just being wood. clear, yeah. You can hear the wood after all that quad talk. <laughs> you can hear me wooding out. Holy squeaky wood. Would you come down? Um, rusty. I'm going to move away from the microphone. So, uh, I, had, I was doing weights. I was uh, working out outside of the track. And I was either for football or track. But I was doing weights and my shoulders couldn't handle the weight that my quads could handle. So the bar across my shoulders actually popped my shoulder blades out of their sockets. And now they still... Whoa. <laughs> like, I, I don't... I, I can't Can even... I put my hand on there and feel it? Yeah, here, actually, let me sit like this. Oh, God, I don't know why. She literally looks like a fucking gargoyle oh, right now, like guys. Halloween is happening early. <laughs> Halloween is a week away. Yeah. True. And Kaylee, you're going to be a fucking gargoyle. I have started transforming already. Or maybe it's like the start of where your angel's wings will grow out. No, gargoyle. Gargoyle. Okay. (laughs) I really appreciate you for trying there. I tried. Um, I totally am not. Let me just pop them back in. So So gross. Wait, they've been out this whole time? No. You like pop them out and they're just like, uh, they're out. Actually, sometimes when it stays out, I have to, I, I actually have to slam my shoulder. What is this, lethal wall. weapon? I, I t- 
take real great care of a body, but I didn't. <laughs> I didn't do all the proper. Didn't you say you've <laughs> eaten like five salmon breasts and had five cappuccinos between each salmon breast all day, and that's it, and then a bunch of wine? That's how Kaylee takes care of our bodies. I yeah. of our bodies. Yeah. I can't speak English. <laughs> I um yeah today I've had cappuccinos. I didn't mean to out salmon and Outer. wine. I hope your mother's listening to this, Kaylee, so she can tell you to eat properly. She'd be really proud because normally it's just coffee and wine. I put salmon in my diet today, and it was only because I bought salmon to have here, um, but then I ate the other kind on the table because I hadn't eaten all day. I was coming from the yoga sanctuary at 3 p.m. and I'm like, fucking starving, and I just cried all my energy out. So so back to this conversation. I I injured myself about a week ago. Um, I guess flaring up this old injury and so I've asked a couple of different instructors around the sanctuary what to do and how to I know that my body over time has been compensating to readjust the way that my muscles actually hold everything in place in not, not even just like in my everyday life and I know I also I'm a hip stander like I I stand on one leg and so my alignment has been off for how North long? Americans tend to do that mm-hmm. Europeans stand on both their legs not Which sure about it? the rest of the world, but I literally saw that this morning in a video. Really? Yeah. What video? You have to send it to me. It, it was. <laughs> oh, I love Don't spy. say it. Okay. They're all naked. No, no, no. It's not a porn thing. Porn thing. <clears throat> Great time for something to get stuck in my throat. <laughs> yeah, that's, um, that's why you're pausing. No, it was a video. Can you hear the wood? <laughs> I'm blushing, and it's not even because of the porn. It was a. I think it was Wired magazine had a YouTube video w- interviewing. The CIA's ex head of uh, makeup and disguise. And it was an interview with this woman who, in the 90s, was in charge of all design, disguise for um, CIA agents. Cool. And she was talking about how to, like, how to, and I liked it because it was really interesting in terms of character study, how to yeah. change certain aspects of yourself so that people don't recognize you You'll have to if you're being that. tailed. Yeah, it's really fucking it. cool. Oh, for me, I part my hair on one side or the middle. I don't think that's enough. Something tells me it's no, not my, enough. My agent says it makes me look so different from picture to picture. Great. I think I should take her job. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. <laughs> um, no, she was talking about how like there's just subtle differences that you need to know when you're playing characters uh, or being a, someone from another country if you're overseas. And uh, she was just talking about differences between Americans and Europeans. And Americans tend to sit on one leg when they're standing, they kind of lean on one leg, whereas Europeans are much more centered on both feet. I wonder why that is. I don't know either. I mean... They're closer to where yoga originated. (laughs) That could be it. (laughs) Or it could be a machismo thing or a laid-back thing on one side. But that was one of the things. And then also just how you use a fork and knife is very different. You know, some cultures, and I forget who was who... Um, when you cut your food, you change your hand to your dominant hand. Like, oh, Because I, I hold my fork in my left hand, and I cut with my knife with my right hand, and then I still use my left hand to put the food in my mouth. But in some places, you cut with your dominant hand, the knife, and then you move your fork to your dominant hand, your right hand, and then bring it to your mouth. Mm-hmm. For me, it depends on what I'm cutting. Oh, if it's like shit. a steak, then yeah. I'll use my left hand because I'm left-handed. Yeah. And then switch. Yeah. I usually cut everything up into tiny pieces and then... Because you're still a child. That's why. <laughs> she but there's like stuff. differences like that or um, how you hold a cigarette. In North America, we tend to between the f- first and second finger. And in in um, Europe, it's your thumb and forefinger. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And then even it made me think of the movie even Glorious like, Bastards, like how you order three more glasses yes, in yes, one scene, of... and that's what the giveaway was. Instead of okay. he held up instead of three fingers, he did one of the other. I forget which one. He did this, but it gave him away as a Brit to a German. Yeah, and so I love. I mean, I'm a spy junkie, that's so and cool. uh, and also in terms of just playing characters, I find that stuff fascinating. Yeah. So that was where I saw that was on that. By the way, you look like it wasn't porn. That's that whole answer is so much dorkier than if it was just like. It was in porn. Yeah, you have a reason to play. Imagine it yeah. was porn, though. You're like, huh. You know, uh, how do I get out of this one? Country and everybody's naked. So. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's standing on his third leg. How's yeah. that happening? <laughs> this one's called the tripod, and it's natural habitat. Mm. <laughs> Yogi. Ron um, Jeremy. Okay. <laughs> Are we talking in those accents now for the rest uh, of it? Ron Jeremy. <laughs> oh, okay. Let's move away from Ron and porn. Oh, uh, damn. Back to the origination of, is that a word? Probably not. No. The original sensation of origination. cocaine. Origination. That's what I said. I think that, because I was trying to combine those two the words. The origins? There we go. Okay. The origin story of my pain was in the middle of my back. She asked me where it originated. Yeah, and this is the longest story ever. This, I know. We've gotten so off topic so many times on this. Um, everybody stop listening. Tangents. You should just call this podcast Tangents. That's my life. Yeah, <laughs> okay, great. Story. Continue, sorry. If there's a biopic, it's called Tangents. So she asked me where the pain, because it's actually throughout my whole back. It basically starts on um, either side of my sciatic nerve and shoots up into my skull. Fun times. But, mm-hmm, it's really great. Uh, the origin of it is... In the middle of my back, like it kind of, it's like a T shape and it spreads across. What is this? The not the. I, um... That's the bra strap. <laughs> the bra strap. The bra strap. Right? It it's literally goes strap. across the bra strap, but then also in um, this. Uh, I can't. I forget what the words are, which we're supposed to learn and read lumbar? and study. The lower lumbar. Well, no, but yes, it goes across the lower lumbar the as it goes up. Good. He knows his, uh, no, that is the weird, the triangle shape at the base of that's your, the uh, that's the sacrum. Yeah, that is the sacrum. The coccyx, the coccyx, coccyx is, the is at the bottom. It's like your tail. Yes. Um, yeah. Leftovers <laughs> of our tails. Leftovers. Exactly. Yeah. I don't know why I called it coccyx. Uh, but she asked <laughs> like me where. a little cock. A little coccyx. <laughs> I think that's why. That's the science. <laughs> that's what your point would be. That's like. Yeah. <laughs> a little coccyx. The little coccyx. Um, and as soon as I told her where it started. Just like oh, so it's it began right behind your heart, and then I just burst into tears. <laughs> like I don't know why that triggered this immediate reaction. It's, your back heart. it's my back heart. Well, what she said is that if you have physical pain that you're carrying in anywhere of your what's that your posterior, the yeah. it's anterior and in, posterior. okay, so in your back posterior, posterior um, that is pain that you're or something that is coming up in your personal awareness that has to do with your past because it's in your backside. Why can't anything be about my fucking future? Right? As a young you to be, yeah, yeah, I was like, what? You, you want your head. boobs to hurt? To they hurt too all the time, but it's usually like my posterior. <laughs> posterior. <laughs> your posterior. That's my, I have one of those. My prostate is like my backside, my posterior. What's that telling you when it flares up? <laughs> You know, it's it does flare up as you age. As men age, your prostate does have little flare ups and things like that. Oh, you're like, what's they that? call the prostate the the second heart for men. It's something really? they don't know a ton about. It's a bit mysterious. They know its basic functions, but they also know that there's a whole bunch of stuff that it can regulate and that it can fuck up and that it can do that affects so much about men. 
is prostates. Is that so, why it's being such a more up and coming like foundation type thing? Or well, I mean, prostate, prostate cancer is like a, a major concern for men, and that's yeah. why you get your prostate checked at a certain point. And it right. used to be in your thirties you started getting checked. Now it's in your forties. I think they've they've determined. But really, thank God I saw a few. No, I've, I've had it checked a few times actually, and uh, it's fun. I just go in. Yeah, just myself just going in there. Oh yeah, yeah, little uh, Phil stuff. Yeah, but. No, it's something that I do find interesting. I, 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 I had at one point I had prostatitis, something like that. It was like a a, a flare up or an inflammation of the prostate, and it's is it it's, painful? Yeah, it was pretty painful, and but I it feel also pooping. like but yeah, I'm just pooping. <laughs> but it's, it's no, it was brought on by depression or what? it caused depression. They don't know. There's a correlation. There's a correlation between. Um, your mood, like stress levels and mood, you know, ups and downs can cause a flare-up of prostatitis. Or I mean, how close wrong, but is it to the gut? It's in it's in your ass. It's in your anus. Like <laughs> it's like, like, like I think it's like four inches in your anus or something like that. Okay, so, the word anus. Yeah. Well, no, be, I'm, you gotta I'm, get to it through your butt. But there are butthole. so many glands. Anything to do with the butt area? Yeah. Fart. I'm yeah, like, I love it. I love like you said doo doo earlier, and I, I had to say doo doo. Yeah, like, you're like to do do. You know? It's what we do do. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. instead of dying. I love it. I love. I thought that was just your RPM. Doo doo's make me so like, happy. A good so fart good. makes me so happy. I think they're so funny. <laughs> but like, maybe that's why, especially boys, I find like, well, yeah, everybody loves. I don't know. Like maybe not everybody loves fart jokes, but like, they're so good. But you know, men's prostates are this thing that isn't fully understood um, mm-hmm. and and does have an effect on on men's so many different functions whether it's sexual health um, mental health uh, it's it's fascinating so it's something that I want to learn more about I'm I talking find it to, fascinating that they're linking depression and yeah per, per, yeah I was going through a that. really heavy bout of depression it was about 10 years after my dad died. And, and I went through a really stressful experience, um, right around the 10 year anniversary of my dad's death. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, I was, I was depressed for months and I took this like massive road trip through Finland to see where he was born. And it was literally just going to be like a nice trip that I was going to take to kind of be like, uh, it's coming up on 10 years, dad. I want to see where you were born, you know? connect back to Finland and take a little road trip on my own. Didn't go with my siblings. Didn't go with anybody. Pardon me. And, uh, and so it was supposed to be this big, like, Hey dad, you know, throwing you up to the air, to the heavens. And you know, has, isn't this great? I'm where you were born, blah, blah, blah. I miss you buddy. Whatever. And we did, we, we had our ups and downs. We had a lot of downs. Um, but I really loved the guy, uh, still do. And, um, and the Christmas, this was in April, uh, this would have been 2014. So around Christmas, heading into New Year's for 2014, I got really bummed out, really depressed, and really low self-esteem. And it's something that lasted for months. And then finally, I was like, I'm going to take this trip, and I'm going to feel better. I'm going to move on. It's going to be awesome. I don't know what it is, but I was going through some real struggles. So I had months of this stress and low self-esteem and depression going on. And then I took this road trip that was supposed to be like this glorious, beautiful thing. It turned out to be like an anger-filled uh, like crazy emotional realization that I have a lot of work to do and I should go to therapy and figure out because I have a lot of stuff 
unanswered from my father and I relationship that, because we were fighting when he died. He died away. He passed away very suddenly. And we were fighting at the time and not talking. And, you know, we had, I had my reasons for that. Um, but when he died, I put him on a pedestal as like this great man, this great father. And uh, it's such a shame he's gone. That I just ignored the feelings that were going on when he died. Mm-hmm. That never got resolved. That never got fixed. Kind of backburnered. Yeah, totally backburnered. And I thought I was moving along fine and getting over things. And 10 years later, wham, I just got hit by this depression that just bubbled up out of nowhere. And it lasted for a long time. And then when I went and did this road trip, as I drove further and further north into Finland, it was a really long drive. All these things happened. I, I met some family, a family friend the night before who showed me all these letters from him. And then these letters were much more loving and intimate than they ever were with me and saying stuff about us that he never like how proud he was and all this stuff stuff that like he never said to us just being more open with someone who was a friend of his when he was a small child in Finland who was reconnecting with and and it set me off it was so nice to read these letters but at the same time I was so upset that I never heard any of this from my father uh, or that he was just being more open with this person than with me and I fully realize in hindsight that it's hard to be open and honest with family in a way that you are with your friends and also we're Scandinavian so it's like even more (laughs) fucking tamped down but yeah so so the next day I'm driving all the way north in Finland to get to where my father was born and it's good Friday I did not plan this trip right I don't have a place to stay and I'm driving further and further north through the woods of Finland because it's all just fucking woods and driving 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 and I just start like getting angrier and angrier as I'm driving north. I'm not typically an angry person. And I'm like seething. And then on the next second, I'm crying my eyes out while I'm trying to drive north through Finland. And then I'm angry again. And then all this, these emotions are bubbling out of me. I've never experienced anything like that except for when he died. When you get, with with um, grief, you just get these like explosions of emotion every once in a while. They just mm-hmm. kind of like, you're in a grocery store and you hear a fucking song and all of a sudden you're just like and it just comes out like ugly cries it's very weird that was me today yep there you go yep. and uh, and so I realized after this trip all this fucking crazy shit happens in Finland and uh, I realized holy shit there's all this stuff going on that never got resolved and I've been sitting on it for a fucking decade because I was too stupid to go and talk to a therapist about grief and and then I went and talked to someone and cleared a lot of it up. It still affects me from time to time, but like all around that time, just these, this long, like three or four months build up to this intense one week trip was enough to like flare up my prostate and like, you know, physically take a manifestation in, in my body. Yes. And that's amazing that it can do that in our back, in our posterior or, <laughs> and that was yeah. my posterior. I mean, the prostate is my fucking, it's literally, in my posterior. It's literally, it's literally, it's literally, it's Shit out of that prostate. It's, well, it's crazy too to yeah. say, like, they say stress is the number one cancer causer. I fully believe that. And yeah. it's just insane that our own Ugh. thoughts can cause this to our own to our own bodies, to our this? own entities. And that's the power of our fucking minds and the it's power exactly. of our brains, which is still My just knowledge. a bunch of tubes with like sparks and energy. And we still don't understand how the universe works. Like, no, and energy. why am I still getting hangovers? <laughs> right? And, you know, what I don't understand. That? I don't yeah. know why. I don't know why. Five bottles of wine and I'm hungover. As I pour more wine. Yeah, <laughs> just pour it. 
That's um, insane. That's we have another in the kitchen. Don't you worry. Keep oh going. God, so don't worry, followers. <laughs> I mean, sorry. We say sorry. Do oh, it. I actually bought it because this is one of Tanya's and my new loves over the past year. We've become addicted to this particular type. We, we should it says plug them. Energy. Boom the... chicka pop. Yeah, boom chicka pop. It's the marketing. Oh, it's God, fun to say. And how pretty is it? It's pink and turquoise. It is really pretty. I'll get this tattooed on my back. Totally, check out my new popcorn tattoo. Uh, I feel like that's good. It's light kettle corn. You guys should try and get sponsored by these guys. Hey, Boom Chicka Pop, you hear that shit? Oh, wait, no, it's Angie's, not Boom Chicka Pop. But Um, that's a good name, too. Well, mm. Andrew's is like the, the branding. The brand. That's who, who makes it. And then yeah. I guess that's the line. Boom Chicka Pop. They have so many different mm. flavors. It's just so fun to say Boom Chicka Pop. I think they have. Not an ad, but damn, it's good. Specific ones right now. They had like a pumpkin <laughs> spice one that looked interesting. Ew, no. like a char- yeah. I'm so over pumpkin spice bullshit. Like, come on now. Uh, I like of... real pumpkin. I don't want sweet oh. pumpkin all the time. Yeah. You know what's Roast funny? Roast some fucking pumpkin and like eat some good savory. My pumpkin. dad yeah. makes mean pumpkin pie. Like, mm-hmm. he fucking scrapes the pumpkin and makes that pumpkin. Why can't he make nice Pumpkin pie. Oh, pumpkin it's, seeds. it's such a fancy, a nice, joke, really nice. That was a good dad, dad joke. Right? I was really thinking but, about pumpkin seeds. So <laughs> I, I understand your pumpkin, pumpkin issue because, like, people will be like, "Here, have this pumpkin pie," and I try. I'm like, "It was that from a can," and they're like, "Are you serious? Yeah. You know what? You yeah, should be picky about the pumpkin." Fuck the can. Fuck the can. Make real food. From exactly. A, although I will say this: when I'm making a good, good tomato sauce, I use tin tomatoes. So sometimes. Tin vegetables are good. Yeah, you can get some really. But if you get like a full, an actual pumpkin, if you're in season for pumpkins, fucking roasted pumpkin. You get roasted pumpkin seeds. You get pumpkin pie guts. I think you get a jack o' lantern out of it. I think there's something about eating food when it's in season as well. Yes, I totally. I I think our bodies, not to sound too witch like, but you know, we we change with the tides. We change with the changing of the seasons. And if something is in season, if it can grow at that time, it's probably because your body can actually, I don't know, properly digest it or that you should be eating it at that time, especially in the Mm -hmm. climate that you're living in. And it's also something that says like, like I remember hearing recently that soy is not good for North American or European bodies because we haven't adapted to it for countless generations. I heard it was bad for women. I heard it was bad for men because it it boosts your estrogen. Yeah. But... But because we haven't been raised eating a lot of soy, but we're now consuming a lot of soy because uh, it's getting grown in in Canada quite a bit. Um, almost like, you know, like corn syrup is in everything. Corn is in everything. Mm. Soy is kind of finding its way into our bodies and it's upping our estrogen and, yeah. and all this stuff. Like for men, which can be bad, but who knows? Eat, eat guys. Eat local. Eat fresh. <laughs> eat um, chicken pop. Eat boom chicken pop, not mad. Hashtag not mad. But it's delicious. But it's so good. It's not local though. This is breaking the rule. This is preservatives. I mean, it's coming out of but a bag. But it's whole people. grain energy. Everything it else is, is fresh and local. Okay, that salmon is from one of my favorite new little seafood shops called. They're not new. I'm just. Oh, is it local it. Toronto salmon from the Humber River? <laughs> then it doesn't count. Full of fucking like, uh, iodine. Yeah. Is it? I think but they have an aquarium in the back. Yeah. Yeah, oh, farm salmon is not good. They get it from the Canada Aquarium. Uh, oh, for God. sure. That's oh God. <laughs> this is about that oh, guy the naked guy. Yeah, the naked guy. Yeah, I loved it. I tweeted about it. I was now like, now I feel really bad because I wanted to plug them. They are really great, and I love that shop. But now I don't. We've already dissed them too much. Oh um, no, we didn't diss them. They're not local. We said eat local, and obviously, oh. so. but I don't care. They're great and they're wonderful. They're on Danforth. They're still they're local Dillamel. because you're not getting at the fucking Bob Bob. 
This is every time Kaylee and I go grocery blah, shopping, blah, blah, which is like fifty yeah. percent of our friendship, because we yeah. go find the hot guys in the produce section. Oh, yeah. produce shopping is where the I was like, We spend half an hour not shopping, just been like, hey, blah blah blah, blah blah blah, like we're we get kicked out often. Yeah, I get it. Um, I understand. I was gonna say I was gonna say something about something that we were talking about beforehand. I don't remember what it was, but I want to keep moving Welcome forward. Welcome to we're right. totally not okay. Yeah, but that's okay. Oh, that's what I was gonna say. I'm not right. Well, you should be a rapper. You're the next Tupac. <laughs> oh, he's somewhere. He's at Nana Island. Fucking uh, triangle. Everybody yeah. knows it. I. Sure. I was going to say that's why I started the podcast. This insatiable need to figure out the connection the psychosomatic connections between well everything what you're what you're eating and comes part of you i am i am fermented grapes for <laughs> the most part you've um, been fermented grapes forever i've, yeah. I've been fermenting you grapes are forever. a group i'm a group <laughs> <laughs> but i i i kind of got tripped up on this one project where the, I mean, we both, Tanya and I come from a similar approach in our acting. This is the loudest she's ever been. She doesn't talk very loudly, but when she gets up and moves, all you can hear is, <laughs> here, hold on, squeak the wood. Hey guys, I have to pee. <laughs> <laughs> she's heard this story already anyway. Yes. Um, one of the reasons why I wanted to start the podcast was because I had an experience on another horror film that um, I don't want to say it as if it's just like another horror film. It actually was another catalytic moment in my life mm-hmm. that gave me a new appreciation for the mind, the power of the mind. And I didn't realize at first that I was, I guess, going quote unquote method mm-hmm. on the set. Oh shit. And yeah. I have, I have something to follow up with that. Have you been? Okay. Here, I'll tell you my method. Yeah. So you tell me yours. So I was approached by a director who um, I'd worked with him before and he asked me to to play the lead in this project and I, I'm like, absolutely, I would love to work with you again. Send me over some material. So he sent me the material and I read it and I immediately had this, oh, no, aversion yeah. to it. And I didn't know why. I, I had obviously played in other films with similar storylines, very grotesque um, scenes and you know, blood and gore and and weird stuff. And I didn't realize why I had such an aversion until, you know, he, he he was very kind in, in taking his time with me and and allowing me to see all the material he had ever written about this character from high school. He'd been writing this character from high school. And so he had a lot of information that he could send to me. That's what I asked for. I'm like, look, I, I don't know what it is that is is making me feel like I'm putting the brakes on with this character, Mm -hmm. but if you're willing to be open to a million questions and you know I'd like to go through this process and I she was somebody that I didn't want to associate myself with and it, it, I judged her from from the beginning from hold on squeak it squeak it squeak it squeak squeak squeak, squeak, it, squeak it real good I found my one cool thing oh my oh, god you're so silly there's a box with them up there um anyway he was very kind he worked he gave me a bunch of information and by the end of it uh, I did a bunch of work on my end, and I didn't realize that, um, you know, I, I wrote an entire diary in this character's oh, mind, uh, in her in her voice that I don't remember writing. I 
Um, actually, the director took a page from it, and we the entire monologue was built out of one of this, these diary entries that I wrote in her voice, which is kind of cool to have that effect. Like, looking back, I don't remember writing it. One of the other producers, thankfully, so many of the people on that set are very good friends of mine now, but one of the producers, you know, laughingly showed me text messages that I had sent to him in character. Don't remember sending them while we were uh, in, like, the month that we were shooting. And um, afterwards, when I was asked about playing the character and what my experience was like on set, I realized that I, I, I'd repressed so much of my experience on set, I blacked out. Um, Whoa. I had to, and, and it was kind of a, a recall to, it's not the first time I've repressed experiences in my life. Mm -hmm. I actually had one gift that my mother had to re-give me this, this beautiful album, like page by page. She crafted this album of all the sports awards that I had won and pictures throughout, like just this album of me that mm -hmm. she made for me one Christmas. And she mentioned it one day and I could not recall what she was talking about. She had to sit down with me and walk me through it again because I had actually blacked out a portion of my life that I, in my therapy sessions, I referred to as the black hole period. Mm. Um, and I've, I've had things come back to me and I think that's also part of the physical manifestation of pain that I carry with me that I'm working through in my yoga practice. And right. some of, and that's one of the reasons why I burst out into tears today when my yoga instructor told me, oh, okay, so you're carrying it in the back of your heart. This is something from your past. Why do you think that it started behind your heart? What are you getting? <laughs> and it was so many things that I had not thought of before that came back to me as if I experienced it for the first time over again. It was the weirdest thing. Right. And it's really cool what the mind... Cool in, like, kind of a scary way, because... But scientifically really cool. Scientifically really cool. And this is what I nerd out on. And this is what I love about the craft, about our job, about what we do as, as actors and writers and storytellers. We are... We're shaping zeitgeist. And we are... Not, not even just for, you know, stories that connect everybody, but even just on a minuscule level, taking a look at such a tiny scope of one person's life, how how deep that can go and, and uncovering things that you forgot about yourself or how they manifest. If you carry them in yourself and you're not dealing with them, if you're not actually pulling the cards out on the table and taking a look at how to process something that you're going through or have gone through, you're carrying, you're just putting it in your bag. And that's what I was doing. I, was, I had this bag of, you know, I'm not going to deal with that right now. And I crumple that card up and I put it in the bag and I was carrying around these bags. And that's why I'm like, I've just had such back shoulder issues. Like I carry you around a lot of bags. And you are also a fucking bag lady. I'm such oh, a bag lady, bag actually. Lady. That, yeah, but sometimes like, I get some good jokes. I once had an interview with a real fun agent who like, I carried around too many bags. And that was, that was what broke the ice. He's like, you got you got a lot of stuff with you. I'm like, yeah, I have baggage. <laughs> I was like, okay, so that's who you will be. Uh, no, but, baggage. Agents want actors with baggage because baggage is playable. It's playable. <laughs> you have a lot of stuff to you work know, with. Says, yeah. Here so my, kids, get some fucking baggage. Get some baggage. Yeah, but take the cards out and look at them, kids. Yeah, okay. definitely. Figure out your damn baggage. Okay, what was your... My experience is actually completely connected to that depression that I went through leading up to that crazy trip in Finland. So I was doing a play just before that Christmas. Um, and I was supposed to be playing a quote-unquote fat bloke. It was a British play. And so I was like, and my, and my buddy was directing. It was like, you're not fat. Don't worry about that. But it comes up in the script. And I was like, well, you know what? I'm going to put on some weight for this role. So I put on 10 to 15 pounds within like a month. How did like, you do that? 
I go up and down weight very okay. easily. Well, go up weight easier than go down weight. <laughs> Welcome to your turn. Yes, sir. You're a sir, right? Um, Sometimes it depends uh, on the day. Depends on how deep they're low they're hanging. Oh, um, nice. Yeah, if it's warm or cold. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we, we tend to talk about balls hanging now. That's oh, the new cool. theme of all our Yeah, episodes. not just poop. Balls. Balls now. Um, balls now. Hashtag balls now. Um... <laughs> So I put on some weight. I was like, okay, well, I'll just stop going to the gym. I'm tired from rehearsals anyways. I'll just drink a bunch of beer and eat some gross food. It'll be the most fun gaining weight ever. And I put on like 10, around 10 to 15 pounds. And so I do this play and it's about this guy who's like a complete loser. Or my character was. He's a real loser and he's got no self-esteem. And he's mourning the loss of his grandmother who raised him and he lived with. And now he's kind of all alone and he's trying to negotiate love and it was a four-hander play so my character was going through all this shit and was holding on to the ashes of his uh of his grandmother mm. and uh so to play the role i was tapping into a lot of real emotions about my losing my dad so i was kind of going through that and i actually didn't realize it until you started telling your story and i was like oh geez that was right around the time i did the play and i got depressed over my dad and I realized, like, just here, this evening, that it's all kind of connected, oddly enough. Hmm, so crazy. Yeah. So I'm using all these emotions. It's not method, but I'm tapping into real, raw mm-hmm, mm-hmm. emotion um, of grief and loss to play this role. And it's also a role that's steeped, the character is steeped in low self-esteem. He's a, he's a loser. He, he doesn't feel good about himself. And so as soon as the play was done, I actually got cast in Orphan Black while I was doing that play. So, and they cast me at that weight, so you have to maintain that weight. So I ended up maintaining that weight for all five seasons, and I still haven't lost it. Um, but Well, you look great. Yeah, well, thank you. I'd like to be a little bit less me. But that's another no, struggle. That don't. For sure. No, that's You're true. always you. Thank you. I have loved you since day one. Aw, oh, thank you so much. That means a lot. So I go through playing this character, and then I book this exciting TV show that we don't really know what it is. It's just kind of a weird, quirky sci-fi show. But, you know, we're just shooting it and having a blast. It would feel special, but we don't know what it is exactly. And Now uh, everybody knows. Everybody knows. Uh, no, watch it. It's good. It was it. fucking amazing. Yeah. So good. It was a fun oh, one. God, um, so fun. But I had a lot of residual self-worth issues from this character I felt really shitty about myself and that I wasn't worth that much and it was because I tapped into these real raw emotions to play this role and all of the uh, all of the unfinished business with my dad all the issues that I have in terms of my self-worth in his eyes the things that you know really haunt me about our relationship all that stuff came to the surface because of this role that I was playing that I was tapping into these real emotions. And for years, that was the style of acting that I learned, was mm-hmm. that you take your real-life experience and you shift it into your work, into your role. And when I was in theater school, I was like, bullshit, I'm not going to use these feelings about my dad and my work because I want to keep those holy because those are mine and I don't want to use them and I don't want to lessen them either. And like, that's my shit. I don't want it to be part of my work. And then I later on realized, like, as an artist, we got to bring everything about ourselves to our work. Mm -hmm. And that's what makes it interesting. So I was using a lot of my real emotion. And I still do to this day. But recently, I've started studying Stella Adler technique, which is all about imagination and not using your actual past experiences because that shit can be damaging. And it's true. 
it damaged me. It did it did me in for months doing that role. How'd you get out of it? Therapy. Like so, I, I did that crazy road trip and then realized that I was in a really bad place. And actually, it was my mother who told me that she had never seen me like this because I would blow up on her. She'd say something and I would like get angry and blow up on her and just start yelling at her. And I'm not a yeller. And that's not you. Yeah. That's not me. And she's like, I have never seen you like this. You need to go and talk to someone. I don't think that trip did that much good for you. And uh, and she was absolutely right. Like she usually is. And, uh, and sorry, was this trip before Orphan Black or during? So what it, it was, or... it was after we finished filming the first season. So I did this play. Okay. It was like November, December, October, November, December. I did this play, booked Orphan Black, started filming it in November into December. Got depressed around Christmas. Finished filming in March, and then went on this trip in April. So it was like this big month long trip where I spent like a week. Half a week in London with friends, week in Finland, back to London for half a week, and then to Sri Lanka for two weeks, wow. and then home. It was like a big month of this whole kind of crazy thing. And when I got back, my mother was like, "You something's up. Like you need to go and get some talk to someone because I've never seen you like this, and I think you're depressed, and I think you need to figure some shit out." And she was absolutely I right. I think it's awesome that your mom actually came out and said that. Yeah, yeah. I think totally it's beautiful. But it's I mean, I owe a lot to that. It's interesting that something, um, yeah. I'm right here. (laughs) It's interesting that that is the first sign of, you know, what, what first started uprooting it or what first started making it evident that it was starting to present itself or represent itself in your life was something that, um, I guess you could look back on it and and categorize as a negative if you've wanted to put it into, if you wanted to label it that way. Mm -hmm. Uh, I kind of. I tend to try to steer away from qualifying my my emotions towards something in in my personal life. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think that, that there's a fine balance between, um, like you said, taking from your own life to put into your craft and and using your like stepping and letting that be because it's holy or sacred or because it's dangerous because right. that's exactly what happened to me and I didn't realize. Yeah, how I didn't know. dangerously I was working. I didn't know how time. powerful it could be in this weird fucking job that you could have residual weird memory shit pop up that was dug up from the work you were doing from your real life. Like, it can be damaging. It can be dangerous. I understand why some uh, some actors get depressed or get uh, dependent on alcohol or drugs because of that depression or even you know, go as far as off of killing themselves because mm-hmm. we, in our job, in some ways of doing it, I'm not saying it's the right way or the wrong way, but you can really tap into some shit in your past that isn't solved yet or isn't resolved yet or is just too difficult to actually handle flippantly or every night, eight nights, <clears throat> eight eight times a week you know when you're doing a play or something like that so do you think that's kind of like where it's the emotions trying to come out no it's just clear those emotions boom chicka boom you're stuck in my boom chicka pop come on so do you think um, that may have kind of brought 
it to a boil is what you were yeah, working think so. on. I think kind of so. Like the oh, it's kind of like how Trump was elected. He's just the boil on the... He's bubbled up to the surface. Everybody was boil. surprised, but he is just... He's the boil on the surface. He's like the pimple on the surface of America. He's a white head. Has been, he is a, a white head. fucking white head of America. <laughs> Underneath right the surface for how long? And now it's just presenting itself in a manifestation in the physical world. And I think that the same thing happens with our emotions or with anything in our life. We create our own existences. And to add to that, something that someone said on set last night that was really important because we were all sitting around between scenes on our phones lamenting over Twitter and how much it was making us angry. And and then finally someone said, uh, she was like, look at y'all, you're all on your phone. We're all sitting here. We're not talking. And we were all like, well, I wanted to see who won the World Series. I want to see this. And we were all on Twitter. And then she was like, you guys need to remember, and this, and we were lamenting about how annoying Twitter is, and yeah, you're right, we should be talking to each other like humans, and we put our phones down. And then in that conversation, she said something that someone reminded her of, uh, and she was like, this really helps me when I find myself going down a Twitter hole mm. or an Instagram hole. Twitter is not real life. Instagram is not real life. No. These are not accurate representations of real life. It might be what someone wants to say in the moment, but they would never say or do any of the shit that they say they're going to do in person. They wouldn't have the gall to. It's not real life. It's it's a fake but multiplied into I It can fame. have real life repercussion. Take a look at what I'm Take a look at what's happening right now because of one tweet. What, the MAGA bomber or what? No, uh, the... When when he talked about putting his 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 company out um, for public shares, um, oh, or Elon Musk with Tesla, yeah, yeah and, and how like his, his world is such a shitstorm now, and there wasn't really any foundation, any basis, any factual basis to what he was putting out there. He it was on a whim. It was a, a whim of it was a just tweet. a quick. Exactly. Yeah, it cost him twenty million dollars. People and how much sanity from one tweet? Yeah, like one. That's tweet what that frustrates me. The fact that that's a kind of repercussion that he would experience. But Trump, how many times has tweeted from the shitter and still is running America and has? We not don't been... know that he was shitting. I'm sure he was. <laughs> Everyone's always <laughs> shitting. He is. I mean, that's the only time I use Twitter is when I'm on the shitter. Hey, Ryan. I would be shitting a lot if that's. Every time I was using Twitter. I think you need to pay attention to your then shit. I don't Spend shit some enough. real time with your shit. I should shut that shit off. Not the shit, <laughs> but the Twitter shit. In what? general, but also what? the shit. Going back to like real lifeism and Tesla and all that. Yeah. I sometimes will post things like saying how I'm feeling in the moment. And I get repercussion. People mm-hmm. be like, why are you so depressing? Like, why are you so sad? I'm like, I'm not sad. This is just real life. And this is what people don't see anymore. We're yeah. only seeing... The Instagram ready photos. See that, and that's the, rare because most people just post the Instagram ready. Yeah, photos. and I'm like, like I, I would prefer that, and that's what we need, especially yeah. as actors, as empaths, as people who. But here's the thing. Attention. I don't. Okay, I. It's funny. Everybody's like, you work all the time. You're a super happy, dude. I was like really bummed out all winter because I wasn't. I didn't work for like eight months this year. Like for the majority of the two thirds of this year, it was like I nothing, and I was like, this year yet. yeah. And it's fucking tough, but like on Instagram and Twitter, it's jokes, jokes, jokes. Look at me. I'm going hiking. I'm having a good time. Like that's because on a good day when I was happy, having fun, exactly. I wanted to share it. And I did. So how can you don't share on your sad days? Because I don't feel like I want to burden other people with it. 
to be honest. When Is my it father died, okay, go when on. my father died, I didn't bother my best friends with it. I didn't talk to anybody about it. I was in the middle of theater school. It was at the end of uh, summer after my first year. So it was in August of 2002. I was just, a, I was a month away from going back into my second year of, of theater school, which is a really, really tough, tough year. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and when my dad died, it was heartbreaking. It was terrible. It was horrible. It really fucked me up. But I didn't talk to anyone about it. And it was because I didn't want to be a burden to anybody. I didn't want to, I didn't talk to my best friends about it. And I didn't talk to my family about it. I just bottled it up and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to work my fucking ass off this year and it's going to be my distraction. And I'm also, I, that was one of the things I did to cope. And the other thing was I upped my wine intake and I drank every night. I bought a fucking box of Lombiance boxed ass wine. We're really into box wine these days. Ter- well, there's good box wine, Never there's bad box wine. wine. Lombiance is terrible box wine and it's sugar crap. But honestly, I, and it's, it's funny because my father was an alcoholic who runs in my, in my family and I'm very aware of how much alcohol I take, but I do love alcohol. So it's something that I'm always clocking and, and, and monitoring, but I would get a box of wine and I would drink two or three big ass glasses of Lombiance every night while doing my homework after a 12 hour day of school. And because I couldn't sleep, I just couldn't sleep. And it was the only thing that would just slow me down so that I could sleep and I'd get up and I'd be fine. And I knew it was an unhealthy thing to do. Uh, but it was what I needed to do at the time, and of I allowed it. And it only lasted maybe a month or two on and off, not every night, but on and off as I needed it. Um, and I didn't talk to anybody because I didn't want to be a fucking burden to anybody, and I never want to. I'm very, very bad at asking for things from people. I will help people. I will help people move. I will help people do whatever they need What's to do. Let's say you're bad at it. Let's say that that is your opportunity for growth. Thank you. Switch. Namaste. Switch. Switch. But... <laughs> I, I need to find those opportunities for personal growth and reaching out to others because I'm very much a, a Would you say and, uh, I will stay on ten year later Christian, would you change that? Hell yeah, would you, I would. Yeah. But you know what I will say, I was living with uh, two other buddies of mine who were actors and uh, one of them would drag me out of my room and make me talk. He was the only person in my life, not my parents, not my siblings, not my best friends. It, well and I wasn't. And Tyler Murray would just drag me out of my room and sit me down, pour a big ass bourbon and we'd pour one for himself or a scotch and we'd sit there and he would just, he would just get me to talk. And like within five minutes, I'd be bawling my eyes out and he would just let me bawl and snot and talk and just get it all out of my system and talk. And then we would laugh. And that's what we need more of in the world. I know. And you know what? We need more Tyler Murray's. And I've said it to this day. Like I, he, saved my life. He got right, me through crazy. that shit. Cheers, he was to, the Tyler only one to, Tyler Cheers to Tyler Murray. <laughs> I own a lot. I own I think, yeah. that period. And I agree with the whole you don't want to be a burden on people, but I feel like that's such a self-confidence issue that everyone, not just one person, everyone has, is you don't want to be a burden on other people, but I feel like a lot of people kind of want to help. Mm. And they don't know how to. And having a Tyler in your life to actually want to be like, no, you're fucking sitting down. We're having half a bottle of fucking bourbon right now and we're talking is such a beautiful thing because yeah. that's what, especially in the world we're living in now. We needs. don't talk with each other enough. We don't. And, and you know what? We're in I such will a argue, social media. But I'll also argue that's what the right and the left need to do. We need to compromise and find a way to work together and, yeah. and yeah. figure shit out because we are getting so 
pushed in either direction. Scary. That each side is getting so angry. That each side is getting scary angry now. Mm -hmm. Poisonous and toxic on the mm -hmm. right. It's definitely. A and on the left. The left is getting toxic yep. and poisoned as well. And, and I just want to go north like your shirt says. Yeah, just go north. <laughs> go north. Um, or find something in common in the middle. And that's to bring back to Bourdain. He was so good at finding what it is that, that we the all middle. go for. And it's food. Yes. Uh, ultimately, it's food. It's eating. It's coming together. It's having people sit down over a meal and explain it's finding things. a commonality. And that is yeah. one of the the necessities in life. That is such a human thing. And that's why, you know, so many so many of the heartfelt conversations so many of the like the heart of the home when when you walk into a house like a, a real estate setting when they're trying to sell you a home the heart of the home is the kitchen they show you the kitchen yeah. it's such a showpiece that's because like that is thing, where yeah. so much of the activity and that's what my grandmother used to say and my my mom it was part of the family traditions that like that is the heart of the home yeah. and that's where so much traffic it's also happens. traditionally the hearth it's like the warmest part of the home the oven because the oven is there. yeah people yeah. actually why in newfoundland they have kitchen parties you know it's like it's like <laughs> cold newfoundland that's sometimes how the party it's always all... happens is in the kitchen it, it, it is it's yeah. the best place and we naturally gravitate towards that mm -hmm. but i remember as uh i mean when i was a younger teen uh probably later in the way i had i had levels in my teenhood but i i could be a very hot-headed teen and um, and I remember specifically trying at the kitchen table to bring up conversations about this thing called depression that I was learning about and the way that I was feeling. And I remember being in not like a direct way, but a very roundabout militant. We don't, we, that's not a thing being shot down at trying to open up this conversation and well this was a time i mean your dad being in the military ptsd wasn't understood in the 90s wasn't it hasn't been understood mm -hmm. until the last oh, five or six geez. years mm -hmm. well he's you know? still a commercial airline pilot and i have read so many studies actually when i first started this podcast uh somebody sent me some some articles some really interesting articles but so many of them had to do with depression levels and and, and most of them had such high correlations to the occupation of airline pilots pilots in general but airline pilots um in specific because of the type of responsibilities that they have and um even just knowing the the history of what that uh, with the airline industry and the amalgamation of the airline industry and the military yeah it's always ex-military pilots um, many of them are ex-military pilots going into commercial a lot of a lot of the uh more senior yeah. pilots are yeah but but even with the integration of newer pilots who might not necessarily have the same training as military uh, uh, officials, which is kind of a, an unfortunate thing because they're also not learning, you know, when you learn a car and learning how to drive manual instead of just pushing a button, mm -hmm. if something malfunctions, you have to know how to take over the gears yourself and manually take care of, like, take the yoke and, yeah. and fix the problem. And a lot of these younger pilots don't necessarily have that training. They're not telling why. They're not being told why something's happening and how to fix something, how to find that resolution on their, on them, on yeah, their own. Yeah, that sounds bad. It, it's, it's even more of a stress level that is creating a wider divide between those who have the training and are frustrated by the younger guys coming on and those who are are being thrown into the deep end before having the proper understanding of how that something works. But then again, just that responsibility of what that job entails.
so many of these articles were talking about these scary correlations and how also those who are coming from a background of that military lifestyle who don't necessarily have the um, openness, I guess, to talk about PTSD or, mm-hmm. um, or, or the ramifications of it or, or even just the correlations that seem to be, I guess, experienced by those in, in that field. Yeah, that's that's the background that I came from. And I was I was a communications major and I was the black sheep of the family and the rebel of the family. So I just put everything that was not supposed to be spoken about, I'm like, we're gonna talk about it. Yeah. And I pushed and pushed and pushed. Um, and it's probably another reason why I started the podcast was like, well, no one in my immediate family will have these conversations with me. So I'm literally gonna be like, bottle of bourbon, sit down with me, you're gonna have this conversation. Yeah. Cool, great, let's go, because it's needed. And maybe in a selfish way, like it's not, this isn't altruistic. This is just something that I, I found out of my own experience in life as a need. Mm-hmm. So maybe it does resonate with other people in the world. And if it does, cool. Then having social media and having these outlets, these platforms that, um, yes, they have their, their negative connotations associated with them, but I think it's a double-edged sword or I think there's a dual relationship where, um, we have a global community now. I can talk to my sister in Europe on Skype and with beautiful crystal clarity actually see her face. Mm. But it is also disconnecting so many people sitting at tables and playing on their phones. Like there's it's, it, two sides of this coin. Um, and I think it depends on how you're using it. I, I love this. Sitting in the room with two of my friends and having conversation that you really don't, you don't tend to have. No. Maybe putting this microphone on was like a, a, a trigger to get us to talk about something because we came in with intentions and knowing that we were going to be having this kind of conversation. Mm-hmm. Maybe it would not have happened ever if, if we didn't have these platforms available to us. Mm-hmm. So Here's we, a good change though. I find that I am starting to have these conversations with my friends. Mm-hmm. On a regular basis? I don't know about regular, but I'm starting to have them. Like we are not afraid to talk about our feelings. Which is amazing. Yeah. It's like all the stuff that, that I, we didn't talk about with, between my guy friends and my girlfriends, like nothing's, nothing's off the table anymore. Like we'll talk about everything from, uh, mental health to sexual health, to physical health, to, uh, you know, depression, everything. Like it's 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 now starting to become part of the conversation. There's which no means this podcast is yeah, now moved. No. So you can just end it now. No. But it's, <laughs> oh my god, guys, we solved the world. Yeah, we solved we it. We solved the world. Um no, there's still so much more work to do, obviously, but I mean, you know, I say this and I have these conversations with my friends. I don't really have these conversations with my family. I still don't. I still don't talk to my brother and sister about my dad and how much it affects me to this day. You know, because we start to, and then we immediately just like start clamming up and tearing up. And I don't understand that part yet, because I'm the exact same. Yeah. And my actually, uh, I mean, I don't talk to my sister very often, as often as I would like, and we don't see each other obviously very often. With her being in Europe, she's a gypsy over there, and I'm a gypsy over here. And um, but I have the same, I don't know, resistance, I guess, when it comes to having those conversations maybe in a rebellious way because I never got to have them as a kid. Um, I, I did like my, my family had this air of repression when it came to those conversations mm-hmm. and I, I do, um, rebellious, rebelliously, rebellious, re, rebel, rebel, 
to have those conversations with other people now, but I still have trouble having those conversations with my parents specifically. Mm-hmm. It's like I just don't. I think it's just a thing in general. That we but I find that weird. It's so strange that the people that we are closest with like, our clans. I think it's so weird. We don't we don't have that openness with. My brother and I are starting to get to that point where we can talk about like depression and like that we're not in a good spot right now and things. But like when it comes to my parents, love you guys, but I just don't. I don't know. It's not really something we've ever really. It's because it, you know what? It's. I think it might be because. They're our parents. They're the ones who are supposed to fix things, not us. But there's a certain point where, and I noticed it with my mom, that I stopped being the kid and she started needing me for things uh, and I need to provide for her now. Right. Like, it, there's, a, a, there's still ways that she provides for me and is very motherly, but she really, and I might have just been the upbringing with her working so much, uh, that she wasn't around to be a mother all the time. Uh, mm-hmm. She was a great mother on so many levels, but but she was busy as hell, like making money to send us to good schools and give us a good start to life. So, you know, she was being a mother that way, yeah. but maybe is there to make dinner or things like that. So there's, there, there is a, a, a point in time as we get older where I find the roles are flipped yeah. a little bit. So... It's almost There's a, nothing stopping us from talking to them about I it. But those, their generation's seems, not good at talking about it. Yeah, yeah the generational I don't say it's like a judgmental thing either because there's never judgment with your family, but to like go and be like, hey, mom. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Well, they're definitely. But I mean, you know what I mean? Like, I would just go up to my mom and dad and be like, I think I'm depressed. I just, I don't know, like, it, 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 it's almost, it's still almost, uh, I don't want to say an embarrassment, but, like, to be, like, you birthed me, and I'm depressed. <laughs> like, I don't know, it's just, right. it's almost like a... Well, there is so much unspoken conversation yeah. that fits in that word, especially with yeah. the, I hate you use the S word, but the stigmas that are still shit. a... Oh, shit. It was shit. It was, it was shit, so I didn't use it, I used right. stigma instead. Um, the stigmas that are still attached to these words, yeah. and... And the relationship that maybe our generation has with it and the relationship that our parents' generation has with with what that means. And um, yeah, as soon as you use that kind of a word, of course they're going to feel some sort of onus or not not necessarily an, an embarrassment, but uh, like maybe, um, maybe some sort of shame that's associated with it. Because yes, they do... When you have a child, you I, I, it's probably just a chemical reaction to think, I need to, well, I mean, also the, the societal imposition of, of having to take care of this thing that you have brought into the world. This is this is your obligation. And, and if it grows up in 20 years and says, I'm not happy, because that's what the two things that you ask for for your child is for them to be happy and healthy. Mm-hmm. But there are always going to be, I think, those Jungian or Freudian archetypal Whoa, relationships you, between oh my god oh, your oh, is can someone hold my head up but like also really I, for me it goes back to being a burden like even though they mm-hmm. are my parents and I, you are their burden and I am their burden I don't <laughs> want to be more of a burden to be like hey I'm depressed yeah. like maybe I have to go see someone because then they're gonna be like are you okay what are you doing today how's it going like you know like I don't know if they'd be that way but you know like I don't want to put another burden on top of the burden that I already burdened them with but who says we have to talk to our parents about being depressed no that's very true at the end, if we are talking to a therapist or if we're talking to our friends about it I think as long as you're talking that's all that matters yeah exactly 
Exactly. I think so. I don't even know how we got on parents. If you don't want to, no, but it's uh, a big part of it. Well, because I we're all yeah. trying to figure it out as well. Like, yeah. you know, if I'm having, if I'm down, I don't need to tell my mom that. I, I don't want to bother her. I don't want her worrying about me in LA because she, wor- I know she worries about me enough. Oh, I still know my dad is like, there are nights where I don't sleep because I wonder if you're okay, and I'm like, don't do that to me. Yeah, dad. Like, yeah, why? yeah. And that's also just a parent. You could be the healthiest, happiest richest person in the world and your parent would still have sleep. Totally, I know. And that's why I like, and it's not that I wouldn't have issues saying these things to my parents, but I don't want to. That's why I didn't tell my parents when I was jumped in the city. My mother wouldn't allow me to go to... Is she listening? I think she does now. Actually, um, I'm pretty sure she does because I think on one of the first episodes... I, I said in, not even, like, I was serious, I wasn't even fully joking, but I said, like, I seriously, I was like, I wish my mother was a momager like yours, because we were talking about how your mom, oh, yeah. my mom retweets like everything, reposts everything, finds rules for you, like, she is a momager, and I said something along the lines of, like, I, I think I got into a serious conversation of, like, how I wish my parents would have pushed me into, because mm-hmm. I did so many different things, and my parents just allowed me to do what I wanted, and, uh, with, within boundaries, but... My, my mother is also somebody who, um, especially in our, our, well, in my formative years, but now too, I, when I tried to go to her for advice, it, um, I'd say probably more so in the past 10, 15 years, when I, when I wanted advice for her, from her and told her what my situation was, I, I constantly got the response of a yogi of like, I cannot give you answers. You need mm. to find this within yourself. And it was so You're my so fucking wrong. mom! Like, yeah. something, and the thing is, is that I know myself well enough to know that, first of all, whatever my dad's going to tell me, I'll probably do the opposite. So you can trust me enough to give me information that I, I won't take it if I don't want to. But my my mother is... Um, I, she's on her own journey, you know? She, she is somebody who does... I, I don't know if she has... Um, I think every parent probably has a fear of like, you know, if I give you information and you go off that information and you fuck up your life or you kill yourself off that information, then that's my fault. I'll take that burden. And that's a huge responsibility mm-hmm. to take. Like anything that happens to your child, you Imagine look at it as your, life your own your responsibility. What's that? You did this to me, mom! I can't well, imagine. I and that's couldn't. the archetype of a child. I've been there. I have had, like when I was, especially when I was a hot-headed teenager, I have had these arguments with my parents where it's like, but you are the parent. You're supposed to be fixing things for me or or whatever it may be. And that's all our own journey where, you know, we're, we're all the fucking same person in this life. Whether or not we have kids, whether or not we are the, the child or the mother or the whatever our relationship is, we're all fucking one. Namaste, right? Namaste! So, <laughs> namaste, motherfucker! Namaste! Fucking namaste! <laughs> But we do always look for these answers in other people, and because we are, to, to go back to the heavy-headed conversation of these young, uh, this Freudian archetype, uh, this Jungian archetype of the the Madonna and her babe, the mother and the child, and, and the severing of the, the cord when you come out, like, you're immediately extracted from this beautiful, warm womb, and thrust into a world of shit. And of course you're going to blame Well, that's your just because your mom shat herself while you were being born. Okay. So you're, like, you're getting <laughs> well, some shit on you. Shit. Yeah. You're sliding Does through your mom's Does every baby turn out into a pile of yeah. shit? I don't think so. You just, you're sliding through your mom's shit as you well, come into the world. Well, here's something for you. My friend once told me. Yeah. She's a flight attendant. Uh-huh. Uh, there's this guy coming from, like, 
business class to first class because he really needed to go to the bathroom? No. Excuse me, sir. No. This is for first class. Shit has no class. And just walks right to the front of the room and takes a shit in first the class. Brilliant, yeah. Shit, shit, shit has, has no class. class. No. We all shit. We Sorry, all but shit. I don't believe it when a, when a woman tells me that she doesn't fart or poop. Hey, I, I don't, don't believe it. I don't have proof, but I, I don't believe it. I had a year like that. You didn't I shit for a year? So in over time. Shit shy. <laughs> shit shy. <laughs> don't get me wrong. I don't like pooping in public places. Oh. I like, I will hold it uncomfortably in till I get home. And then just... I think like, I've gotten over that now. I'm like, no, I'm I think I've gotten over it, too. Like, I used to be the same way. You shit your it's pants more, enough? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> it's more because I don't like public toilet paper. I have it's a sensitive... Is that like one ply? Get a your shit together. I want some Charm. soft, soft, buttery soft to- toilet paper. I don't want that. You don't want some butter when you run out of I toilet paper. I use butter. I use a stick of butter. And I wipe my ass. I wipe with, my ass with a stick of butter. And boy, do I have a moist anus. <laughs> is that what we're talking about on this podcast? Shit has no class, bud. Shit has no class. There is no class. In my <laughs> Except right for now. when it comes to you. Holy mother, Mary, my anus is bleeding. <laughs> I need unsalted, double-churned yeah. butter. My spoons, do you mean? Oh my god. Uh, and then there's this girl who shits twice an episode. She's Are you? Like, we said a shit earlier, and this is another shit. Yeah, I'm thinking like a loser. Oh yay! <laughs> Oh my god, you can actually see your voice waves from upstairs shitting. You're getting better. <laughs> Out of every end. Oh. It's great. You're doing a real great job. Real proud of you, kid. Projecting from all ends. <laughs> this is going to be have to be edited into two episodes. Great. This is... I'm honored. All right, that is the end of the first half of our episode with Christian. Um, because we're still waiting on Tanya. She's she's been in. I, the, I'm back. Oh, I'm oh, back. oh oh oh! You're okay. Cool. Great. That great. Was a good deuce. So um, Tanya Tanya deuces a lot. I, I don't know if we've mentioned that before. Uh, we're gonna have to actually start the next episode off later because it, there there's a lot of shit to handle on our end. Lots of shit. Yeah. Like, um, plunger-worthy. I, and I think you're getting the idea of that. But we're going to... We're going to leave off there. It's just Tanya and I now back in the studio. I don't know if I mentioned that, but we're also still with the wine. We're not with Christian anymore, but we're, we're with the wine. It's mulled wine. There's there's regular wine. There's mulled wine. There's also mezcal. Uh, yeah, we're keeping ourselves warm. Um, it's cold in Canada. What can we say? We we drink and we shit. Hey. And we say hey. Cool. So <laughs> stay tuned for the second half of the episode that we recorded with Christian before he left and went back to LA and none of his other friends could see him. We hogged all of his time. Mm-hmm. We love him. We love you. We will see you next episode. Tanya's going to shit again. Bye. Bye. If you like this podcast, you can support it by subscribing to it on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also leave us a rating or review, which sincerely helps us and we absolutely love. Come hang out with us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And send us your questions, recommendations, and cool things at we're totally not okay at gmail.com. Thanks for listening to We're Totally Not Okay. But that's okay.